This is the podcast of Theophilus Church. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com. I have two quick announcements uh, this evening, and then uh, Anderson was going to come up and, and do another quick announcement and introduce our speaker uh, for us. So last week, I made an announcement that next Monday, so not this Monday, but on the 20th, um, we are going to have an all-church meeting. We're going to do these three times a year. This is going to be our first one where we're going to be able to talk about the beginning of 2020. The reason why this one is so important is because um, at this specific one, we're going to be talking a lot about building stuff. Um, we've made the announcements in in back in the fall that this church is selling this space, and so we have to move on, and conversations are, are being had. We're working with our district and some other uh, networking with other pastors in the area, and we have some uh, some things to talk about as a church in terms of, of what some next steps are. So if you are able to clear your calendar to be there on the 20th, please do so. It's going to be really, really, really important. Um, it's going to be here in this sanctuary. We will have food at 5.30, and the meeting will start at 6 o'clock sharp. So on the 20th, please be there. We'll announce it again next week. And then second, uh, gentlemen, you will notice when you walked in that there is a sign-up for a men's retreat that is at the end of February. It is going to be at Twin Rocks Friends Camp uh, out at Rockway, um, down at the at coast. It's $150. We have been invited to partner um, with a sister church in the area, uh, Riversgate Church. Andy, Pastor Andy Mahoney came and, and preached during our transition back in the spring. Their community has invited us to partner alongside theirs um, for a men's retreat. So, um, please sign up. We'll have a few weeks where, where you can sign up. If you want some, I'm getting more information that I can distribute in weeks to come. Um, but in the entryway, if you want to put your name on the list, please do so. And I can communicate some more information uh, about that. Okay. So be aware of those things. And So this evening, uh, we start a new season in the church calendar. Uh, This is Epiphany Sunday. So Epiphany is marked by the beginning of the baptism of Jesus and goes all the way through Lent. So for the next seven weeks, we're in this season of Epiphany in the church calendar. And our theme for this, the sermons that you're going to hear over the next seven weeks as we kind of think about what does it mean that, that Jesus Christ has been revealed to us as the Messiah? That's what this epiphany is, like this epiphany of who Christ is. Uh, Our theme is going to be a new thing has begun, a new season has begun. And so we're thinking about what does it mean that Christ came and inaugurated something new, and what does it mean that a new season is beginning in the life of our church? And maybe there are those of you who are experiencing a new season of life just in your own personal life. So uh, to kick things off for us this week, uh, we're going to hear from Lahela Isaacson. Uh, Lahela has preached here before, and yeah, you can applaud for Lahela. It's the first she's even said anything. I wish you guys would get that excited when I preach. Yeah, boo. <laughs> you not even did hear what I preach, man. <laughs> uh, 
Lahela and Kyle have been part of our church uh, for several years now. They have two wonderful daughters, Lucy and Nora. Uh, Lahela is a therapist and an all-around wonderful person, super smart, really gifted at speaking and preaching uh, God's word to us. And so would you welcome again Lahela to come up and help open the word to us? Hello, everyone. Thanks for clapping and cheering. Wow. I feel so excited. <laughs> I already felt like um, having this microphone on that I feel like I need to do like a dance or like a song, you know, be like a diva, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> do not worry. I'm going to talk at you a lot tonight. But um, thanks for having me here. Um, as Andy said, my name is Lahela, and I'm so thankful to get to talk with you tonight. I'm so thankful to be a part of a community that values hearing from a wide range of voices within our community and takes the risk of putting people up here like me to talk. I'm not trained in theology. I'm a marriage and family therapist, as Andy said. Um, So a lot of the ways I see God and his workings are through the lens of relationships. However, after spending time in the peace and quiet of a library, reading commentaries all day, getting ready for the sermon, I'm kind of tempted to pursue theology. <laughs> is, that, is that what you do usually during the week? Just commentaries all, all week? <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> um, it's really different experience than my current day-to-day existence, which is home with my two little girls that run around and yell and have a lot of fun, just fun, but not as quiet. Um, well, would you pray with me before I jump in too far? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this evening. I thank you for the opportunity that I have to speak, Lord. I pray, um, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the people that you have brought here tonight um, for a specific reason, to meet with you, to experience you, and to know you more, Lord. I pray that you would change our hearts um, by the way that you move tonight. And I pray, as Jackie prayed a couple weeks ago, Lord, that... um, whatever is not of you would fall away. Whatever I speak, Lord, let it be of you. And if it's not, let people forget it. We love you, Jesus, and we pray that you would um, just teach us tonight. Amen. So as Andy said, our church is specifically focusing on uh, our epiphany season on this theme of a new season has begun. Um, Andy mentioned that tonight is the first Sunday of Epiphany and a time when we begin to look at the experiences people in the Bible had of realizing um, or saying, aha, I think of that little uh, cartoon bubble with the light bulb, you know, going on when someone has an epiphany, um, that Jesus was not just another teacher or prophet, but was divine. He is the Son of God and also God himself. In this season, we look at the actions Jesus took that showed his divine nature, much of which included healing people and setting them free from the things that were oppressing them. I had several passages to choose from uh, within the lectionary verses this week. Uh, One was Jesus' baptism story, and one was the story of uh, Cornelius' conversion, which is what I'm planning to focus on tonight. But I, I... when I start to prepare a sermon, I realize I have about a hundred things that I want to say, and so I have a hundred sermons to tell you tonight, but I'll try to stick to one. But first, let me talk about baptism for just one minute, um, because I think it applies. So the story of Jesus' baptism comes from Matthew 3, a Matthew 3 
13 through 17 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, so a little backstory on John. John has been baptizing lots of people in order to get them prepared um, to receive what Jesus was going to do in his ministry. In preparation for my sermon, Andy was talking to me about the difference in John's baptism compared to the baptisms Jesus performed uh, and what we still now practice in the church. For John, baptism was symbolic and pointed at being washed as part of repentance, but was not a sacrament and did not represent being forgiven of sins or participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus, as we do now. In those times, God forgave sin through the requirements of the law, such as temple sacrifices. But the new season that was ushered in by Jesus as the divine was one in which Jesus baptized people and forgave their sins without the usual sacrifices required by law. John says in Matthew 3:11, a little before the baptism, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John went around baptizing people and preaching a repeating message, which was, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. John repeated this sermon over and over. While I was reading um, Stanley Hauerwas's thoughts about Matthew, I learned that when John was encouraging people to repent, he was not asking for people to feel bad about what they've done, although that's a natural consequence of repentance. He was asking them to change the way they were thinking about something and therefore change their direction and actions. John is asking the people around him to change the way they are thinking so they can be ready to receive the life change that Jesus is going to offer in his ministry. This is what I've felt that God has been asking of me as I prepared this sermon and what I'm asking of us tonight in this new season of our church. As we look at the story of Cornelius and Peter, could we stay open to changing our way of thinking about each other and God's kingdom so that we're ready for God to change our hearts and lives? So let's get into the story of Cornelius. This story comes from the book of Acts chapter 10. And the part that comes before what was read tonight is an action-packed back and forth in which the Holy Spirit speaks to Cornelius and to Peter separately and coordinates an unlikely meeting between the two of them, which results in Cornelius' whole family becoming believers in Jesus and being baptized in the Holy Spirit and in water. This is seen as the Gentile version of the Pentecost, and it is significant in showing the radical way that all people are welcome in the kingdom of God. Up until this point, the message and ministry of Jesus was seen as a message and ministry to the Jewish people. But in Cornelius' story, we see that God is beginning a new season where all people are invited into the kingdom of God. The story starts with Cornelius. Now, I'm going to summarize the whole chapter, so just 
bear with me. I thought about flannel graph. I was almost going to have a couple of you come, out, come up and act it out, which I'm still open to that if you, if you want to. But otherwise, I'm just going to, you want to? Okay. Um, but otherwise, I'll just, I'm just going to plow through this, and you can stick with me. Um, but the story starts with Cornelius, who was a Gentile. So that means anyone who was not a Jew. Um, He was outside of the Jewish culture and church, and he was a Roman soldier. Peter was a devout Jew who was in Jesus's inner circle and followed the Jewish laws closely. Peter and Cornelius did not run in the same circles. They had major differences in culture. Before they even meet, based on their cultural group memberships, we may be able to guess at what assumptions they could have made about the other person or the feelings they may have had toward each other. It says of this person, oh, excuse me, however, Cornelius wasn't a cultural group. He was a person. It says of this person in Acts 10.3, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Cornelius and his family are interesting because they were actively living a life that was honoring the God of the Jews without being Jewish themselves. So Cornelius is praying one day, and he has a vision of an angel of God. And the angel says, and this is my paraphrase, Cornelius, God has seen the way you've been loving and honoring him. Now send some people to Joppa to bring back Peter, who is staying with Simon the Tanner. Now, not only are Peter and Cornelius in different cultural groups, they had never met or knew of each other, as far as I know, and they currently were in different towns. So Cornelius sends some of his servants and a soldier to go get this person he doesn't know, Peter, from Joppa. Meanwhile, they were on their way, while they were on their way um, to get Peter from Joppa, Peter is at Simon's house, and he goes up on the roof to start praying. Um, and while he's up there, it says that he, it, it's a quiet, alone place that he can pray. It says that he was hungry and that um, he he fell into a trance, which is mostly taken to mean that as he prayed, um, he was in an almost asleep state and had a vision from God. Verse 11 says, he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So God told Peter to eat all of these things that were considered unclean in the Jewish law. Peter was so blown away by this vision and the radical nature of what it seemed like God was saying in in it that he argued with God about it. I've done this before, and it's kind of a weird thing to do, to argue with God, but he he did it also, so it made me feel better. (laughs) Um, God repeated it to Peter and told him three times. So, so far we have like two different people who have these kind of radical visions from God, um, and the Spirit is already working before they even meet. Peter was really unsure about what this vision meant, and he was puzzling about it, trying to figure it out, when the people sent from Cornelius arrived. And God told Peter, there are people downstairs looking for you, so go downstairs and go with them. Peter went downstairs to go with them and asked why they were there. They said in verse 22, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. 
A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. So they stay the night at Simon's house with Peter before bringing him back with them to Cornelius' house. When they arrive at Cornelius' house, it says in verse 24, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. Cornelius falls at Peter's feet in reverence, and Peter bends over to pick him back up so they can be face to face and reminds him that he is not God. He is a person. Then in verse 27, it says, While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So Peter reminds them of what a radical and strange thing this is for him to be here in a Gentile's house, where his law tells him he should not be associating with people he had been taught not to associate with. But, the, but he draws on what God has just spoken to him in the vision, that he should not call anyone impure or unclean, and he comes to Cornelius' house. Now that he's here, he asks why they have sent for him, and Cornelius tells him about his own vision and that they are ready to hear what the Lord wants to tell them through Peter. Let's imagine this for a minute. If you need to close your eyes to imagine, that's okay. Um, As Christians, we often hear this story from Peter's perspective because we are already a believer of Jesus like Peter. But in reality, if you are not culturally Jewish, then you are Cornelius in this story. We are the outsiders who God has welcomed in. I'd like you to take a minute and think with me. Try to imagine in your mind someone in your life that you perceive as different than yourself because of their cultural group. Culture can be created around almost anything, religious or theological belief, race, ethnicity, place of residence, school or work, gender or sexuality, socioeconomic status. Now imagine yourself about to have a conversation with that person. If you were Cornelius, what are you hoping Peter would say? If you were Peter, what would you say? Peter says this in verse 34. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Then Peter continues in this gospel message that Cameron read for us, Starting in verse 42, he talks about how Jesus came, sent by God, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. He healed and freed people. He was killed on a cross and then rose again on the third day. He appeared to us and he commanded us to preach that he is the one that God appointed as judge of all people and that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter is sharing this gospel message, Cornelius and his friends and family are baptized in the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in tongues. Peter's friends that came with him are amazed that God's Spirit has been poured out on these Gentiles who in their law they're not even supposed to be associating with. 
And in verse 47, Peter says, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. In his message, Peter says, You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel. And later he says, You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. He says this like he believes that Cornelius and his friends have heard about Jesus already. And maybe they had through, um, you know, just what was going on in their area. That they've heard about the things that have been happening with Jewish community, within the Jewish community. But they heard it as outsiders. But what is new in this current season and situation that they find themselves in is that God has spoken to and poured out his spirit on both the outsider and the insider and brought them together so they could witness God's radical welcoming of all people through Jesus Christ into the kingdom of God. All people who fear God and do what is right. Now, what does this story have to do with our church and our lives today? In a country that is ramping up its focus on cultural groups and people's political views in order to capitalize on our group identities for an election, what about in a larger church body that's divided along so many lines? Pick pretty much anything, speaking in tongues, instrumental and non-instrumental worship, Calvinism or Arminianism, the role of baptism. This story has so many things to do with our lives today, and I'm just gonna hit on a few tonight. But I pray that God moves in your heart as you hear this story and that you listen to him and are willing to be radically changed and led by the Spirit in the way that Cornelius and Peter were. The question for tonight is how can we repent and change our thinking as individuals who participate in this specific church community? When Kyle and I first read the church website and came to visit, we were drawn by the way that diversity in theological thought was framed as something that was valued and celebrated. I went on uh, the website recently to see if that was still the same that was there, and it is, but when I got there, I saw that Kyle is the picture on the website right now. <laughs> I texted him, look who's the new neck of, the, of Theophilus, because it's just the back of his head. <laughs> I thought that was pretty exciting. <laughs> um, but there was a, a sense of unity while holding that diversity. This stood out as part of the identity of this church, as we've participated in this community over the past several years, we've noticed this diversity come up in sermons, in conversations, and in the way we see people living. Part of why I'm so thankful that our church is making space for many people in our community to share from the pulpit is not only that means that I get a turn to share up here, but that God is reflected uniquely in each of us and that we each see and experience God from a different angle. When we hear from a variety of people, we get a more rich experience and understanding of God. But this is not just experience from the pulpit. This is true when we have diverse voices represented in our Sunday school teachers, our dinner chefs, our worship leaders and audiovisual team, our elders and council, and our body as a whole. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, we are all part of Christ's body, and the body is not made up of one part, but of many parts that are interdependent and diverse. In my experience, the value of this diverse view of God is most deeply learned and experienced in our day-in and day-out relationships with each other. When we're eating, watching movies, marching, 
playing volleyball. That is my shameless plug for starting a volleyball team here at church. <laughs> if anyone wants to join me, I could really bond. Um, <laughs> there are so many opportunities to celebrate and grow in this diversity. But sometimes diversity presents itself, and when it does, we see it instead only as difference that threatens. When I notice a difference between myself and a sibling in Christ, I feel tempted to either pull away or judge. I pull away because I'm afraid of being rejected for the way I understand and make sense of God, or I judge the way the other person views things. Honestly, I'm afraid that some of you or people in my past faith communities will dismiss my faith because of those views, and so I distance myself, or I quiet that voice that's different, and I say it's for the sake of unity. But my husband Kyle and I have been talking lately about the fact that without true diversity, you can't have unity. My brother recently reminded me of this. My brother is my only sibling, and although we bugged each other a lot growing up, I, I just think he's the best. He can do no wrong in my eyes. Um, so I care so much about staying connected to him that sometimes I let things go unspoken. I don't want to rock the boat in that relationship. He started a conversation with me recently in which he told me, Haley, that's what my family calls me, if I'm doing something that hurts you, I want you to tell me. I want to know if I've offended you or if you think differently than me. Because if you don't bring those things to me, then it's hard to be close. The same is true in our church family. It is a false unity when you just don't talk about the ways that you are different or don't talk about the ways that you see God differently. In past church communities, this has been true for me around the thing I'm doing right now, preaching as a woman. I quieted, okay, here's where the crying starts and it probably doesn't end, so just get ready. <laughs> I quieted my diverse voice because some of the people in my faith community disagreed with what I was sensing from God. And that was really difficult. Now, please hear me when I say that holding unity and diversity does not mean that we overlook issues of justice, but that we bring those issues of justice that are important to us to each other and work them through in a loving way. Dr. Christina Cleveland is a social psychologist and a Christian who studies group dynamics, and she applies her findings to promote cross-cultural unity in the church I think social psychologists are like the coolest psychologists because they study, you know, all these weird things that people do. One of my favorites that I don't remember exactly the point of the study, but was that people got in an elevator facing backwards while everyone else was facing the other way just to see what, how that affected everyone. I don't know why that stuck with me, but <laughs> I think social psychologists are great. Um, so she promotes her she promotes unity and, um, you know, tries to figure out why group dynamics happen and, and um, how we can kind of adjust those dynamics to uh, help us be united in the church. She's interested in the cultural fact factors that often divide us uh, in the body of Christ. Things like race, socioeconomic class, sexuality, theological beliefs, and many, many more. In her book, Disunity in Christ, she explains that cross-cultural unity is important because we believe in a God who sent his son in order to be reconciled with us. The work of reconciliation between people is essential because that is God's constant work in our lives. 
It is human nature for us to categorize. It is human nature for us to be drawn to people that we perceive as like us in some way. Dr. Cleveland cites super upsetting to me research about how when we denigrate people within another cultural group, it increases our own self-esteem. We separate and put people outside of our group down because it makes us feel closer to each other and better about ourselves. She summarizes her own ideas about diversity and unity and also another group researcher, Gordon Alport, who created a theory called contact theory. She says this, Alport recognized that homogeneity is never harmless and introduced contact theory, a way of bringing groups together in order to reduce prejudice. The idea is that if group separation causes inaccurate perceptions of other groups, negative emotions and discrimination, which she talks about in the, the chapters before, then under certain, circum certain conditions, direct contact between members of different groups will reverse those inaccurate perceptions, negative emotions and discrimination. This works because cross-cultural contact between the groups provides information that flies in the face of inaccurate perceptions and negative emotions that would otherwise live on. It also works by forcing individuals to see the similarities between themselves and the other group. In the end, people often find that their negative beliefs about the other group are overgeneralized and untrue. The church is a place that gives us the beautiful opportunity to practice cross-cultural contact within whatever diversity we find represented here and to reach out as a group to other groups to make contact across cultural divides. One of the most exciting things I found during my quiet commentary study day was this note in a commentary about the word favoritism or partiality. When Peter says in verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. The commentary I was reading says this, the literal translation of that verse is, I understand in truth that God is no respecter of persons. The word used for favoritism or partiality is based on this phrase, to lift up or raise the face of someone. It denotes the gracious act of someone who lifts up a person's face by showing him favor. According to ancient Near Eastern customs, the greeting to a superior would include the bowing of the head, if not the full prostration, and lifting up the face would mean full acceptance of such obeisance. As used by Peter, it means that God does not, does not favor only Jews, but also respects Gentiles who call upon him. Remember how when Cornelius met Peter, he fell to, his, to Peter's feet, and then Peter invited him to lift his head and interact face-to-face. -face. This face-to-face -face relationship is what I'm holding out hope for in our church as well. This is what I believe is part of our new season as a church. My kids taught me about this recently. They were fighting in the back seat of the car over something that felt super important to them, but not quite as important to me. And I finally had had enough. I wish I could say that I just gently told them to please stop fighting, but I uh, actually yelled quite loudly into the back seat to at whichever one it was that was in the middle of the tirade at the moment, just saying to them, Lucy or Nora, look at her. Look at her face. This is your sister. She is in your family, and you love her. My point was not for my kids to stop disagreeing, although I would really love that. 
<laughs> my point was for my kids to look at each other and be reminded of who they were talking to, to interact with each other in a way that showed love for one another, even in the midst of disagreement and difference, and to remember that they have been equally welcomed into the same family. My prayer for us, Theophilus, is that we would be able to change our way of thinking when we're faced with difference and diversity, and that we would engage each other in it in a way that promotes unity. Here are a few practical things that I thought of that could help move us towards this. Um, when you're in an interaction or conversation and come upon an area of difference, you could try these things. And I'm telling myself this too, of course. And by the way, I didn't think of all of these. Most of these, I did what's called crowdsourcing. This is my new way of preparing for a sermon. <laughs> Just ask like a million people. So if you're one of those million people I talked to about this sermon, thank you very much. I was talking about this sermon. Some of my crowdsourcing sources were um, Mark and Elizabeth Lasitra. Thanks, guys. Um, and Mark was um, brought up this important, the importance of really listening to each other. Having face-to-face -face conversations where you're curious about the other person's thoughts and experiences and you listen to where they're coming from is essential. And Elizabeth reminded me of this next idea, which is offering each other grace. When we practice the radical grace that God has offered us with each other, within our own areas of diversity and difference within these church walls, we can walk out of here and offer up that radical grace to those around us within the broader Christian community and those outside of the Christian community who are also invited into the kingdom of God through Jesus. And then as much as you are able, stay in relationship with each other. In the therapy world, there's a theory called attachment theory. In attachment theory, there's a concept of rupture and repair. So their idea says that healthy relationships are not ones that are conflict-free. Healthy relationships are ones that sometimes include ruptures in the relationship. We sometimes wound or offend each other, but in these healthy relationships, we repair those ruptures. This work of reconciliation and staying united in diversity is really hard work. Dr. Cleveland says, in my experience, the glorious work of reconciliation is equal parts exhilarating and excruciating. We will hurt each other at times, but the strength of our relationship is in what we do to repair. I want to make an important note here. If you are someone who has been marginalized, I don't believe you should stay in a place you're being hurt. We all have different capacities in different areas of our life to live with difference and disagreement. But if God is speaking to you to stay in a relationship where there is difference, then please listen to that voice. I'm getting close to the end, so if you're serving communion, you can start making your way up here. The last thing to remember is, Kyle started singing this to me last night as I was going to bed. <laughs> turn, as a joke, turn your eyes upon Jesus. I can talk all I want about how we should change our thinking about this, but it is God who can change our hearts and our lives. Please listen to the Spirit, because as we see in this story of Cornelius and Peter, the Spirit of God is active and is speaking to us, and the Spirit speaks different things to different people in order to bring them together. As we transition to communion, Please know that there are gluten-free elements in the back.
in the small bowls, in, in bowl stations, front and back. All are welcome to come and participate in communion together, remembering that we are a diverse body and we come together united as siblings in Christ. We are loved by God and led by the Spirit. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you again for this body. I thank you for the seasons that you've brought us through already as a church. And I thank you, thank you for the season that you're bringing us into now, Lord. I pray that you would draw us together as people that are diverse and have different experiences, Lord, and understand you differently and that you would help us to hold those things and, and stay united um, in, our, in our love for you and in our um, way that we live that out, Lord. Jesus, please let these things sink into people's hearts tonight and give people specific ideas and visions of how they can live that out, Lord. Let your spirit lead us and guide us. Let us listen to your spirit. And even if we argue at first, Lord, let us obey and follow you in your leading, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Theophilus Church. We hope you've been inspired and challenged by what you've heard. For more information, visit our website at theophiluschurch.com.